This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, March 9th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. In the president's original order prohibiting immigrants from various predominantly Muslim countries, one section gave federal agencies power to flag some would-be immigrants if they could not be shown to contribute to national interests, whatever that means. And that section appears to have endured in a way after the broader ban was withdrawn. Rachel Levinson-Waldman of the Brennan Center for Justice and Alvaro Bedoya of the Center on Privacy and Technology at Georgetown Law discuss what they call a digital Muslim ban. In the fight over uh, Donald Trump's uh, effort to prevent people from certain countries coming to the United States, there were a lot of arguments about this country versus that country. None of it seemed to seem to add up to uh, anything that was uh, grounded in evidence about the people coming from these countries. The thing that you, that you've looked into seems to be based even less in some particularized uh, argument about people from cer- certain countries, and that is what you guys call a digital Muslim ban. So what in law or in orders that have been issued by the feds, what does it that actually add up to? What does it mean technically? So we call it the digital Muslim ban because this is an extremely broad program that will allow ICE to scan pretty much every corner of the internet uh, and potentially use machine learning to flag up to 10,000 people a year for deportation and visa denial under criteria from the original Muslim ban. So uh, January 27th, Donald Trump comes out, issues a Muslim ban. Most people focus, as you mentioned, on the fact that it barred people from certain countries from coming in. But there was a little section, section 4A, that people really didn't notice that said that we need to screen every person coming to the country for whether they'll be a terrorist, a criminal, uh, and also whether they would contribute to society and contribute to national interests. Now, Donald Trump rescinded that order, but lo and behold, July 2017, ICE posts these procurement documents online where they want to hire a company to screen people for the same criteria that people thought were basically gone, the ones about contributing national interests and, and uh, American society. But now they're going to screen for it and they're going to use social media analysis, potentially machine learning to automatically flag 10,000 folks a year for uh, investigations. Now, is this – you say that lo and behold, an agency is coming out with uh, criteria uh, after the president has withdrawn an order. Was that just a signal to the agency that if you engage in this, the president thinks it's fine? Is that how, how we should take it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we don't know exactly, but certainly it wasn't the administration's preference to have to withdraw that first Muslim ban, right? Trump was all in. And he even said with the second Muslim ban and then with this third presidential proclamation that came out that was sort of an effort to do the same thing. Basically, I liked the first Muslim ban. I think the other ones are becoming too politically correct. Everything that I want to do is really based on that first ban. And so even though the language that ICE pulls out of there doesn't appear anymore in the subsequent documents, it's very clear, both from that original executive order and from statements afterwards, that this is sort of where the administration's heart is in a lot of ways. So, and I want to be clear, visas get denied for all sorts of reasons, and and the uh, people do have visas denied. There's quite a few hoops to jump through to get a visa to come to the United States. How much different is this from those procedures that have existed for years? Right. So the process of getting a visa is a fairly 
strenuous process, I suppose I'd say, and especially coming from countries where somebody would have to kind of go through additional hoops, make additional efforts to show, you know, that they, um, you know, haven't spent time in areas controlled by terrorist groups that, uh, you know, in terms of the money that they've spent, the relationships they have, things like that, that they're not a threat to the country. That That is already the case. The United States has one of the most rigorous visa vetting processes in the world, and that has been the case for a long time. Um, what this does is to add this layer onto that um, that is incredibly undefined and that in a lot of ways allows almost anything to be used as a proxy so that if the administration decides, well, we think we don't want this person coming to the country for some reason or for somebody who is already in the country, we think that they're not somebody we want to remain there is surely something out there that they can find to justify that the decision, even if it's something that would never have been and should never have been a factor in sort of the traditional visa vetting process. Okay, show me the man, I'll show you his crimes. Right, exactly. The, the idea that, uh, well, you know, if, if you've already got somebody that you think shouldn't be here, if they have failed to make this quote unquote positive contribution uh, to national interest, is that sufficient? I mean, we if you know. say, well, right. they're not on social media, right. so they can't post huh. dank memes. Uh-huh. And so that's not a positive contribution. So to be clear, the program isn't necessarily limited to social media. Um, it describes hiring a contractor to scan every corner of the Internet, blogs, academic websites, public hearings, conferences. Uh, if it's online, you name it, they're going to look for it. Uh, so this isn't restricted to that. But to be clear, the criteria, because there is no definition in American law for what it means to contribute to nationalism, for what it means to contribute to, to American society, ICE can say what it, what it thinks it means and either investigate someone for deportation or flag them for visa denial on that basis. So and this may this is another problem of, I guess, it was this administrative law? That is the delegation of things that, frankly, Congress ought to be doing with respect to deciding what agencies are responsible for and what discretion they have to make decisions? I think that let's not go down the administrative law rabbit hole, but what I can tell you is that there needs to be oversight here. Um, there is a role for congressional overseers to ask hard questions, like, for example, um, are you going to scan uh, the social media and online presence of green card holders? Because the contract documents sure suggest you might. Um, they might also ask questions like, how on earth are you going to build the system? Because we have a letter from 50 of the nation's leading machine learning and automated decision-making experts, people at Google, Microsoft Research, uh, MIT, Carnegie Mellon, et cetera, saying, you cannot build a system to do the things you want it to do. Uh, not just because there is no definition for um, what it means to contribute to American society, but also if you want to predict whether someone will commit a terrorist act, machine learning really isn't the tool to do it. Uh, because mathematically, terrorist acts are terrible. They have a terrible impact. But as a mathematical matter, they are so rare that modern machine learning methods cannot accurately predict them. So that's another question that someone uh, uh, in Congress should ask. Another question is, how on earth are you not going to scan the social media of American citizens? There isn't a, an American Facebook and a foreign Facebook or an American Twitter and a foreign Twitter. There is a Facebook. There is a Twitter. And anyone who communicates on these platforms is naturally going to come into contact with friends and family who are foreign nationals and so, or green card holders who also might be scanned. So there are some tough questions and Congress has a role to play here for sure. 
And one of the things I wanted to add is that this is all within the context. You know, there's sort of this fear mongering about people come from abroad and they're going to commit murder. They're going to commit terrorist attacks. So not only is it the case, as Alvaro said, that terrorist attacks especially are so rare that you can't predict them. It is also actually quite rare for there to be a violent crime or indeed a terrorist attack that's committed by somebody coming from overseas. And especially since we're talking about the digital Muslim ban, somebody coming from one of the countries that's targeted by the Muslim ban. So two of your colleagues at Cato have done great research on this. David Beer and Alex Noraste have some of the best numbers showing just how minimal that risk is. Is. And that's also expanded on. There's a Brennan Center report on extreme vetting that shows what that whole landscape looks like. And it's interesting because when you think about who 9-11, the, one of the worst terrorist attacks on, on American soil, the way that those terrorists were able to execute those plans was by scrubbing their backgrounds. And that, that seems, to, seems to be that, like if you want to be successful as a terrorist, posting a bunch of... Uh, counterproductive things on social media is a really easy, really great way to get caught. Right. Well, it's two things, both that that they may have scrubbed their backgrounds and also that there are other ways that they could have been flagged that wouldn't have involved this kind of super fancy online monitoring anyway, right? There were actually some you know, basic sort of immigration violations there. As we know, there were, you know, several of them were flagged by an FBI agent, right? Which also gives the lie that the only way to find people is through some kind of super duper fancy machine learning that goes into every corner of the internet. That's not actually where the useful information is by and large in the first place. So one thing I think we haven't talked about is the impact on speech. Um, I think people are viscerally uh, uh, going to, uh, the folks who listen to this podcast will be viscerally uh, uh, um, predisposed to be opposed to something that's going to scan their communications. But I think the general population is not going to behave the same way if they believe that ICE is looking over their shoulder. You know, are you going to post a uh, an article critical of the president? Are you going to post an article critical of whoever in government if you think ICE is watching and is waiting to make a determination about whether to deport you or flag you for visa denial or flag your friends and family for visa denial? Uh, I think that is a real problem. And I've said the number 10,000 a couple times. I think that's something else people need to pay attention to because, look, people do all sorts of stuff on social media. And um, there is a world where there might be a really narrowly tailored program that specifically looks for known ISIS videos, right? This is a, you know, a, a horrible video from ISIS. It is propaganda. We know it to be from ISIS. Let's see if, you know, folks who are applying for a tourist visa post this online, okay? It's one thing to do that on a narrowly tailored basis. It's another thing to tell your contractor, whatever criteria you use, you are going to put 10,000 leads for deportation investigations and visa denial on my desk every year. And that is verbatim, not maybe verbatim, but that is, that is actually what these documents say that are posted online from ICE. And I want to highlight two other related issues. So one is, as we've talked about, the system that ICE seems to want to build would monitor and look at potentially everything online, not just social media. But a big piece of that is social media. And one of the things that we know is how hard it is to draw any actual useful conclusions from social media, even in terms of a program to determine whether a social media post is 
positive or negative. They largely can't do that without a lot of false so positives. So you're saying machine learning doesn't do sarcasm well. Amazingly, that is correct. Yep. Um, and so when you think of a tool that's sort of going to be automated and, you know, not the tool is going to be making the decision about who gets deported, but it's flagging people for deportation, humans have a hard enough time, right? Even somebody who is familiar with the people, the lingo, the language, the context, if you're lucky, you know, maybe you get the real meaning right 80% of the time. When you're talking about different communities, different languages, people that you're not familiar with, things they're talking about that you're not familiar with, even people often get that incorrect. And there's no reason to think that machines are going to get that right some greater percentage of the time. So there's one other piece that I want to highlight as well, which is that we've been talking a lot about the impact of this program on foreign visitors, right? And that, that's really what it was built for, to flag people, to, to, to vet people who are applying for, for visas, for work visas, travel visas, student visas, and those people while they're in the country. But that's certainly not going to be the sole impact. They will be communicating with U.S. citizens, working with U.S. citizens, you know, in relationships, communicating online. And this will almost inevitably gather information about U.S. citizens. There's just no way that a program could be built to sweep up the quantity and range of information online that this program or that ICE wants to get about foreign visitors and not sweep up information about U.S. citizens as well. There's simply no way to distinguish online between, you know, where somebody comes from, what they're in the country for, things like that. And the same chilling concerns that Alvaro talked about, it seems almost inevitable that those will have an impact on U.S. citizens as well, who will think, you know what, I'm not going to say the thing that I thought I was going to, um, you know, whether or not there's a foreign visitor in my network, but especially if so, maybe I won't collaborate with somebody, maybe I won't work with somebody. So it's really going to have those impacts across the board. And as we learned from the, the Patriot Act uh, provisions that were intended to be used only for terrorism investigations inevitably find themselves being used for run-of-the-mill domestic crimes. Yes. These things have a way of expanding. Whether intentionally or not, there is a lot of slippage. Rachel Levinson-Waldman is with the Brennan Center for Justice. Alvaro Bedoya is with the Center on Privacy and Technology at Georgetown Law. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 